sermon notes, let's get to it. The first question that we're going to deal with always starts with the current event. And so um, the current event today, of course, is uh, what happened in Las Vegas. Uh, each week we try to figure out what's, what's the current event to talk about. Some weeks there may be nothing of importance, but this week that's it. And the question that comes out of that is what, what do I believe about gun control? And what I'm trying to do is give you a biblical response to questions that you've asked me either in person or online, and this one is the one that I'm being asked now. What do I believe about gun control? I love the, the verse in John 18 because I think it asks ask us another question. If you were to take the same issue back to Jesus' day, the question would be, what do you think about sword control? Because in the text that Matthew, that John records, chapter 18, verse 10, Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck it, struck the high priest's servants and cut off his ear. Of course, Jesus healed the guy, but understand, this, is, this was the issue in Jesus' day, carrying a weapon. Now, I, I, I don't, uh, somebody asked me in the last service, do I, would I be a pistol-packing preacher? Uh, <laughs> and I said, to, I, said I, I believe, and the, the Bible is really clear, that there are people who were godly people who carried swords. David carried a sword. A lot of people carried swords. They, that would be a gun in our culture. Um, I think that it should be done legally. I think, I don't know that we need machine guns like we saw in Vegas. Um, but let me tell you what I think is at the core of even talking about all this. Division. Repeat this with me, please. Say, a house divided, a house divided cannot, stand, cannot stand and cannot make decisions. If you're divided all the time and you're competing all the time and Republicans against Democrats and Democrats against everybody against everybody, you can't even sit down and have a reasonable conversation and come to reasonable conclusions. And I think that's what hinders us from talking about anything. Different parts of the world have a different attitude towards weapons. If you're in Europe, it's not, you know, you just can't go around carrying guns, especially in London. Uh, even all police officers in England or London do not carry weapons. They have a special group they call. When they have an issue, they call the special group and they come. Um, but that's not the way the world views it. In some parts of the world, and I was in Israel, it's very common for, for 19-year-olds to have M16s on their shoulders. They're soldiers, some of them are dressed in uniform, some of them are dressed casually, but they always carry weapons. So it depends on where you are in the world. It depends on all the dynamics that are involved. So in our culture, uh, we have the right to bear arms. I think if you're going to bear arms, you need to be responsible, you need to be trained, you need to learn how to use a weapon, you need to take classes if you can, you need to be responsible. Um, but what happened, again, in Las Vegas is a whole other issue that we, we pray. That kind of weaponry we need to pray about. And uh, I think if we are at least on the same page and we're not hostile to each, toward each other, we can find middle grounds. But as long as we're fighting and everybody's trying to best the other person, you're never going to make good decisions. It may not be in our country's best issue, uh, interest to leave it like it is, but I think it's better when we love each other and we're talking together that we can make better decisions. Say amen if you hear what I'm saying. Amen. All right, good. Second question, beginning uh, question uh, for today. What is my view of the current political leadership? Um, and um, th this is interesting because there's been a lot of discussion about the tone of the leadership, the tone of the president and all that stuff. Let me give you two answers. Uh, and before I give my answers, let me just tell you something that, that I want you to just understand as a foundation. I have made a covenant to always honor leadership. I may disagree. I believe in speaking truth to power. I'll explain how that works in just a moment. This week, I uh, spent a lot of time. I was with 44,000-plus leaders. In, in, uh, I was invited to Dallas to be with a friend of mine. Um, uh, and the 
Dallas is pretty much, you know, Trump supporters, and they are my friends. And I have friends on both sides of the aisle. And I make it a point, a point, to love everybody. Neither height, nor depth, nor politics to separate us from the love of God. Come on, say neither height, nor depth, nor politics should separate us from each other. So I go to friends who disagree with me, who have different viewpoints, and um, I was invited, Dan and I, to be a part of a wonderful uh, presentation that you'll see somewhere down the road. Um, it was uh, Robert Morris, is a good friend of mine, pastors of Gateway Church, and, um, and I'm not going to go over all that we did. I'll let you, if you want to hear the details, you can go listen to the Saturday audio uh, that I did this past week, and you can listen to that, and it'll tell you how, how all that went. It was wonderful. But the point of it all is... My goal is to always find a way to unify, to find a way to press past differences and find a way to, to communicate. That's what's missing. A house divided can't stand. So when I read these verses, I want to show you my response and how I approach leaders when I struggle with them or when I think things aren't going in the right direction. There's two principles I live by. Number one is I believe that we're called to submit to authority. That's the first thing I want to establish. Policemen, governors, mayors, uh, presidents, vice presidents, all those people are part of a governmental structure that the Bible supports. And, and, and in order for us to function as a nation, you have to have authority. And so here's what the Bible says, Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. In other words, God established that we would follow leadership. Now, again, leadership has a responsibility. You'll see that in a minute. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinances of God, and those who resist will bring judgment to themselves. Now, that is the perfect plan that God has. He says, okay, those that are in authority are there to protect us. That's their job. For, this is the way it's supposed to be, rulers are not a what? Read it out loud with me, please. What? A terror to what? Good works. If you do right... Leaders are supposed to lead in a way that they don't terrorize you. That's the leader's job. As a pastor of this church, it's my job to lead in such a way that if you do right, there's no consequence, there's no issue, you don't run into me. If everybody does what they're supposed to do, there's no issues. Here's what he says. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to what kind of works? Evil. You shouldn't be afraid. It should be, it should be that you fear no police officer unless you did something wrong. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the ideal plan. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good. That's the ideal plan. And you will have praise from the same. For he is supposed to be. This is the plan. All leaders are called by God to be God's ministers. And that word means servant. To you for good. That's God's plan for leadership. The problem is when we as leaders forget that we're called to be servant leaders. Can you say that term? Come on servant leaders. And if, if you get caught up in the power and you get caught up in the moment, you can get carried away. And here's what you violate. The Bible says in bold print there, leaders are called to servant, be servants, Matthew 20, verse 25 to 26. Jesus called them to himself and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. In other words, in the Gentile world, it's all about who is in charge, who's, in, who's, who's over who. Who's got the most power, who's got the most you know, influence. It's power over power. But, and those who are great, 
they exercise authority over them. It's all about power, exercising authority over each other. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your what? Leaders should see themselves as servants. Now, here's my issue with today. I think our leaders, in many ways, have forgot that they're servant leaders. I think the tone, some of the things that we're dealing with, um, is more, in my opinion, a reflection of, of a leadership approach that's not healthy more than anything else. You can get into personalities, you can get into all this stuff, and you can get carried away, and you miss the point. So let me jump right in the river with you. Ready? I'm going to jump on in and swim with you a little bit. So people, through all these questions, I'm going to say it now because somebody may ask me this. Well, I think Trump, you know, I think some of the things he said, I'll tell you what. And, and I said, well, here's my, this is my bottom line. He has jumped on Republicans. He's jumped on Democrats. He's jumped on women. He's jumped on men. He's jumped on, he's, he has, he, look, he might tweet about me if I say the wrong thing. <laughs> That's just part of the leadership approach he's taken. And I think we have to pray for him. I think we have to love him. And I think we have to do this. Here's what's important. We have to see that sometimes when you get carried away with a personality, you miss the bigger message. And as a Christian, if you're not praying and pushing yourself forward and you get caught up in, in, in being a CNN person or an SNBC person and you arguing with your people you work with what CBS said and NBC said and Fox said, and, and, and instead of just loving each other and finding a way forward... We're going to end up fighting each other, and a house divided against itself cannot what? Stand, nor make decisions. I agree that I think some of the things that were said and tweeted and done, everybody struggles with it, even his wife, even his kids. Everybody's has some issues. And one of the things that I love is some of the friends that I have, people that I know. Uh, we had a great discussion Monday, and they say, you know, we, 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 we speak to power, um, and sometimes the power listens to us, and sometimes it doesn't. But that's been true throughout history. And the bottom line is you can't lose faith, and you can't become a bitter person. You can't become a person who loses sight of the bigger picture. I'm beginning to be concerned about our tone and what's happening to me. I, sometimes I watch the news, I get mad, and then I get madder, and then I get carnal. And then I have to pray. Amen. Then I have to cut it off and pray again. And you know what I believe? I should not allow what all these people say. I need to be informed. I need to be knowledgeable. I need to have an opinion. But at the end of my opinion, at the end of what I feel and what I see, at the end of my political viewpoint, I've got to love people. I've got to pray my way forward and not get distracted. Come on, say amen. I can't. I can't because at the end of the day... We all need each other. Now, let me ask this question. How many of you have lived in the house of people and, and, um, and you've had disagreements with them? Raise your hand. Now, did you move out? Sometimes you can't move out. Sometimes you got to hang in there for a little bit, right? Anybody got a special uncle? When he come by, he going to say something, right? And, and you, matter of fact, if, if I was coming by your house and your uncle was there, you said, uh, uh don't do it. Don't say it today. I had an uncle one time. He told my wife, he said, uh, I'm going to slap you down. Diane didn't think that was funny. Diane came to me and she told me about it. She said, you need to talk to your uncle. And we had a little meeting and everything went okay. But see, that's just part of family life. Now, you may not like some things you hear and you may be bothered by it. 
But whether you like it or not, we better pray that way and believe God that God's going to fix it all because at the end of the day, we're still all family. Come on, say amen. Come on, amen. We're still all family. So now that I've got your appetite wet, I'm going to move on. Come on, praise God. I'll come back to that in a little bit. Here's a second question you might ask me. And we'll, we'll at least make your notes. We'll come back to your questions. Uh, what, um, what is the benefit of all of this? The benefit of all of this is, you know, I think you need to know what people think. I think if you don't know what people think, just like, for example, I could easily not talk to you today. I could easily just be a pastor hiding behind the pulpit. I don't have to do this. I could have got up here and preached a sermon and, and, and definitely not do this. When I told the staff I was going to do this, they said, oh, Lord. They said, you're going to do it for four weeks? I said, yeah. You're going to sit there for four weeks and let them ask you questions. I said, oh, yeah. They said, well, what if they ask you something hard? I said, I don't know the answer. <laughs> I'm not trying to impress anybody. I'm just simply saying I think that we hide behind the pulpit sometimes. Jesus sat on the hillside and talked to 12 people. There was no choir. There was no band. There was no worship team. There was no lights, no cameras, just talking. There's something healthy about that process. Here's what you learn when you sit on the hillside and talk to people. You learn, about, you learn what they think. A lot of you are upset because people don't agree with you politically. Well, at least you know what they think now. And at least now it's in the open. You can deal with it. If it's hidden, you can't. So all of us are more educated. Can we say amen? amen? All right. Third question. Is it the responsibility of government to give us a good life? That's another big question people ask me. You know, especially in regard to health care and whether or not, you know, everybody should be provided for. I, I think there is in the Bible, and we'll see this a little bit here, there is a responsibility that government has. There's a responsibility that any governing authority, even this church, has a responsibility for its members to some degree. I, I, we can't support everybody, but there are some things that we should do. There are some things that government should do. Let me show you two sides of that give you a scriptural response to it. First of all, the Bible teaches that we are to be self-stewards. Can you say that, please? Come on. Self-stewards. Self 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 says... That we are called by God to work. And the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Pretty plain and simple. You are, to, you are to steward your own resources. It's not my job on the 15th of the month to bail you out all the time. That's not my job. You got friends who do that, you need to stop it. Say, look, hey, we can't do this every month. And then you don't pay me back. And then I, I can't be your ATM. I don't mind helping people. I'm a really good friend. I'm generous to my fault. That's the truth. If you know me, that's the truth. That's my weakness, generosity. But I believe it's important in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says that you are to bear other people's burdens when they can't carry them, when the knapsack's too big and too heavy. But chapter 6 of Galatians, verse 5 says, let every man bear his own burden. When you can carry it, you should carry it. When you can drive yourself to work, you should drive yourself to work. You shouldn't call me for a ride. There are things that you should learn to do for yourself. So there is the responsibility to be a self-steward. Can you say that again? Come on. Self-steward. Then there's a responsibility to be a community steward. The community has a responsibility. The government has a responsibility. That we as a group, as a community, we have to care for the poor, the weak, the people who can't help themselves. There's a responsibility that we have before God. And there's a verse in Ezekiel I just I ran across, 16, chapter 16, verse 49. It was a powerful sermon I heard, and he quoted this verse. And here's what he said. The reason that God judged Sodom and Gomorrah was not just because they were immoral. He judged them in Genesis because they did not care for the poor. I did not know that. I missed that altogether. 
There is a responsibility. Jesus said the same thing. I was in prison, you didn't visit me. I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. So I believe Matthew chapter, I think 25, 26 talks about that. There are things that I am responsible for and we are responsible for as a community. We can't just let everybody be sick. We can't let people just die because they don't have health care. We got to figure it out. But here's what's going to make it easier. If we're not divided, if we unite together, we can make decisions. I, okay, I'm sorry. Here I go again. A house divided cannot what? Stand nor make a decision. I just added that on. But we can't make a decision. And I think we do have to care. And I think we pay a price. And we're already paying a price for our division. And I think we'll do better when we unite. Those are my questions. I'm done for the day. You got something you want to ask me? Raise your hand, and I'll spend the next 15 minutes or so with your questions. Now, raise your hand. So, now, guys, you're looking for these people with their hands up. There you go. One here. Where, are, where else are they? Are you running? They're, they're running. There they go. There you go. They're coming to you. I promise. Where else are you? Let me see. Hands up, please. Right here. One right here. Thank you. Right there by you, sir. Look to your right. There you go. There you go. What's your question? Don't worry. They'll cut it on. Have faith. Believe. Believe, believe. Keep believing. You ain't believing hard enough. Come on, believe. believe. The mic's on, guys. Come on, call all the mics on for me. There you go. There you Praise go. the Lord. There you go. There you go. It's coming. They're working past. Um, Okay. I was told my vote count. And when I voted, it seemed complicated when I was watching the TV about the electoral and popular and yada, yada, yada. What I'm saying is, is that does the, does the political voting system seem fair to you? What, what says you? Is it fair or is it just... With the Electoral College and all that? Yeah, with all that involved as far as popularity and all that, because it seemed like this guy wasn't who I thought would be a great leader for a president office, but apparently he's in. So my question is, what say you about the system of voting? Is it fair or is it real? Yeah, you know, I think that one of the things, thank you, sir. I, I think one of the things that I'd say about, about the Electoral College is, and there's an, some arguments about it, and it basically is based on the population of a city, of a, of a, of a, of a state. And that, that depends on, that affects, uh, it, it, it determines uh, how um, many electoral college votes you get. So if you're small, it's really important if you could, you, because if you went by one man, one vote, you wouldn't necessarily have the same representation as Florida. So the concern would be, that the small states like Rhode Island, uh, small states uh, would not have the same voice and power. And so the argument is that the system protects them and gives everybody a more equal vote. Now that may not be your opinion, and I don't know that that's necessarily true, but I think it does have some value and some, some, some merit to it. I, I would personally think that when our guy won, wins with the Electoral College, we like it. When our guy loses, we don't like it. So the main thing to me is to try to make sure that we make sure the system is fair and not tampered with, and to make sure that if the guy wins that you don't want to win, that you still fight for it and find a way for it. I mean, if you lived long enough, Ronald Reagan won, people weren't happy. When Bush won, some people weren't happy. When Clinton won, some people weren't happy. Uh, and when Carter won, I mean, you can go back to Nixon. I mean, you always have... People happy people, sad people. The system is one of the best in the world. It's not perfect. Does need to be adjusted? Maybe so. Um, but I think the concern for the smaller states would be they would lose their ability to have equal voice if you change the electoral college. So that would be my, my thought. Somebody else? Yes. 
Yes, I got a concern about when people are, when the politicians are lying mm -hmm. to us, and we know they're lying, and the, the people that we elected and put into position afraid to say, you're lying, Mr. President, mm -hmm. or why, why do you say and do the things you do? Why won't, why the, why the damn party line mm -hmm. so much that when your party know you're lying and afraid to stand up and call yeah. you a lie, right. that, that has effect, that bothers me. Right. Because we put them in there to represent us. Right. And they're not representing us when, we're, when they are going along with the lie. So you want me to respond to that? Thank you. Appreciate your question. Uh, you know, I'm going to give you two answers now, and I may surprise you a little bit. I counsel people who work on what I call the dark side. That's what I call it. FBI, CIA. Um, I've had the privilege of um, mentoring and because, you know, everybody needs support and prayerful support. And they'll, they come to our church, and they'll, you say, what do you do? And they'll lie to you. They're not going to tell you what they do. They can't. It's illegal. They can't tell you where they work. They can't tell you what they do. They can't tell you what they can't tell you. If they tell you, they can go jail because they're protecting the secrets of our state and our country. And generally what happens is if they say, um, like if they work in the CIA or something like that, they'll say, well, I work in government. Um, where you work in government? Well, I, I work um, in logistics. They do. They move stuff around, but it ain't what you think they move around. Um, so I understand that there are some secrets they can't tell you. There's some things they ask you they can't comment on, act like they know at all for all kinds of secure reasons. So let's, having said that and put that over here, but there is enough truth that they can tell you. There is enough that they can say where they don't, they don't have as, <laughs> these overt lies and overt distortions. And I think that, that one of the good things about having a free press is it does force the issue of truth and it does test things. I think that you can, you can use security and the secrets of the nation as an excuse to lie to people to create a false narrative that gives people a wrong impression that is dangerous to us. I think our president should tell us the truth. I think our, our political officials should tell us the truth. And I think that you're right. It shouldn't be about protecting your own Republican view or your Democratic position. If you're wrong, you're wrong. And I think ultimately, uh, we, we, the Bible said what's done in secret will come to the light. And, and that's what I think you see happening over and over again, where people have lied, God shines light on them. And so I think ultimately we'll know the truth. There are a lot of things that I think um, they say they could have they been more forthright about. And I, I think they should challenge each other when... This is not a matter of national security. This is not something, you know, you should tell the truth about the numbers, tell the truth about whether we're doing good or bad. Um, you should tell the truth about everything that you can, you can talk about without putting our country at risk. Um, so I hope you see both sides of that. Uh, but I do think you're absolutely correct that this party line stuff where we're not willing to challenge each other. Look, I didn't agree with Obama on everything. I'm not going to agree with Hillary on everything. I don't agree with Trump on everything. And if I was the president, you, you wouldn't agree with me on everything. But the issue is that everybody in leadership should do their utmost best to tell the truth. Because the Bible said if you tell the truth, it sets us all free. Hope I helped you a little bit. Thank you. Somebody else have a question? Where the mic's at, please? 
Um, show me a mic, this side, and then we'll go back to that side. Yes. Um, I saw that he stated, President Trump stated that he did not want anyone who was a homosexual to be in the military. What are your thoughts about that? Nobody's asking that the whole weekend. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm going to say two things about that. Okay, One, when you ask a preacher a question, if you're asking me a theological question, what does the Bible say about homosexuality and the gay lifestyle? This is a theological answer. The Bible doesn't support it. But does God love gay people? Yeah. And if a person says, okay, I, I appreciate your view, Pastor Rick. I disagree with your theological conviction. Uh, now what? Everybody say, now what? Now See, that's what Christians don't do. Okay, so we disagree. Now what? The Bible says a lot of things. Don't have sex before marriage. It's quiet. Okay. Um, Ain't that amazing? I got more response from that, didn't I? See, the reality is, once people say they disagree with me or the Bible, what do we do? See? So, do, I, I, there are dynamics that are at play from the military side that would be different than any other organization. If I owned a pizza factory, a pizza hut, and gay people applied to work for my pizza hut. I can't say, are you gay or straight? You can't work here. I, I don't think that's fair. You know, gay people can cook pizza. I mean, I don't know why I, would, <laughs> why I feel that they can't cook pizza. I mean, I, yeah, and they ain't dating me. I mean, so it's okay. You know what I mean? I, God, God forced me early in my, in my career, in my life, at, to, to, work with, um, to work with gay people. I had a, a matter of fact, when I worked at the hospital, they partnered you with people. And um, my partner was gay, but two of them. And one was flaming. I mean, he's, he's flaming. And, and other than it was, they were at three, three guys that I knew in the department. And, 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 you know, and we had to kind of negotiate a piece. Look, bro, okay, here's the deal. Okay, can we draw some lines here so we can all get along? They, but, that, but, but they were wonderful people. You know what I'm saying? So you don't, to me, once you decide that we're not going to agree on your life choices and moral choices or whatever, what do we do next? We love each other and find a way forward. And so uh, I think that in regards to that in the military, you got thousands in the military already. you got to figure out a plan. I'll leave that to the people in charge of the military if they can find a way to make it work because they're not going to get out the military. They're not going to kick them all out. So you got to find a way to deal with what you're dealing with. Uh, and I am not qualified to speak much further than that. That's the end of my skills, okay? Above my pay grade, all right? Somebody else, yes. Yeah, I was kind of curious um, how you felt about campaign finance reform and about term limits. About which one? About what finance reform? Campaign finance reform and term limits. Um, Camping, you, I, I, campaign finance campaign reform. Campaign finance reform. Yeah, gotcha. and uh, term limits. And do you think that that would weed out those that are... Um, in pursuit of power, and more bringing those that want to benefit Campaign the finance reform, basically how we finance these campaigns, and they're pretty liberal right now. People can give millions of dollars to campaigns through these special um, institutions they put together. 
that allow people to do that. I think there is some concern about that. I think that you, you should look at that and we should make sure we're not creating a, a one-sided system that says the more money you got, the more guaranteed you are to be in power. I think that's, that's, we should reform that. But I, I think we, we only argue that when we're losing. You know, when Republicans are winning, they want it. Everybody kind of goes back and forth. And I do think it's important to do that. The second part of your question was about term limits. Term limits, yeah, I think term limits are important. But I think you have to have enough, enough time in the office to do the office well. You want professionals who understand it. And if the term limit is four years, then you don't ever get anybody who's a, who's a senior person who understands the system. So I believe that you want to have people to be in there for a while. I think it's great that I'm a pastor for 36 years. I'm glad y'all don't have term limits. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad. You know, I, I, I think that is, you want experienced people, but you don't want people who are so experienced that they control the system and don't allow anybody new in. So that's my question. Somebody else have a question uh, here, and then where are we going next? Okay, and then you, go, you, got, okay, you, you got the floor. Go ahead. Okay. What is your opinion on gun control? Well, gun control, like I said earlier, I think gun control is great. Um, but I think that, like in the Bible, if you top of your notes there, sword control um, is, um, is what they would be in the Old Testament. So I think it's okay to have a weapon as long as you do it legally and, and correctly, like I said earlier. Somebody else? Yes. Uh -huh. um, on illegal immigration, how do you feel about that? As an American citizen, um, I think they should pay taxes. But as a Christ follower, we should let them stay. It's... Like, I don't, where's the, where's the, what's the Bible say about it? Is there a verse or anything like that? Do unto others you'd have them do unto you. I, I, I think that's the Bible verse for it. I, you know, I, you know, that's the first time anybody's asked that this weekend. You're great, man. You're on a day. You get to, I, I, I think that when you, first of all, there was this picture I saw on Pinterest that was phenomenal. And, um. It's a picture of an Indian, and the Indian is sitting there, and it says, do you believe in immigration? And he said, if you, if you don't, when are you leaving? <laughs> in other words, all of you people came over here, so when are you leaving? I thought that was a great image. <laughs> I love it. I, you know, I don't, I don't think... Um, I, 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 until I knew people, let me tell you what really helped me with immigration. When I pastored both churches, when I pastored in L.A. and here, and some of you may not know that, but I did, for about three, I read it three years. I, I, was, I, was, I was pastoring this church, which was about 3,000, then I was pastoring in L.A., which had 7,000 Spanish and two or 3,000 English. So I was going back and forth every week. And, and the Spanish church, we had a pastor over it, but I was the lead guy over all of it. And... And at one point, I was having staff meetings with English and Spanish, and it was powerful, like Les in El Camino in L.A. And I was astonished at my ignorance. I, I, didn't, I didn't, until you know a dreamer, somebody who came over here as a kid, and there are dreamers who go to this church. Mm -hmm. See what you don't know? Their parents brought them over here, and they were looking for a better life. Uh, if you've never been in those places and you never had to live in those circumstances and you, you take great risks sometimes to improve your life. 
And so they came here. They grew up here, paid taxes, work, joined the military, go to school. And so now you're going to send them back home? Home where? They don't know anything about that place. They've never been there. Never been out of the country. Don't even have a visa. Passport, sorry. Yeah, not a visa. I mean, so I think, I think it's a bit unfair. That's my honest opinion about that. Uh, I, I, I learned a lot about, um, about people um, in that circumstance. So I, I pray we find a, a right decision that's fair. That's what I think. Uh, do we have an Internet question? Yes. What you got? First question is, why do people in this world support someone who does such cruel things and makes it known to the world? Yeah. I, you know, I, 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 think, I think that there would be those who would argue, I think the presentation of our current leadership creates that spirit, and I can't answer to that. That's, I, didn't, I, I, wish, I wish that the leaders would understand that, that when we create in people that fear and that kind of tone where they got to ask a question like that, that's what we want to remove from people. And I, I, I would say I pray that that goes away. I pray that the tone changes so that you don't feel that way, that they're being unkind and mean, that they would find a way to repackage ideas in a way that makes people feel like you're trying to advance the country, not hurt people. And you can have an opinion about immigration, you, that's that, that, but you don't have to voice it in a way that makes a person feel as if they're unloved and uncared about. We can find a way, because I think you've got to resolve illegal immigration. I think you do have to protect the borders. But I think the way you do it and the way you approach it can be more, you, more, a little bit, the tone can be better. And so that question to me is about how they feel after hearing the words and the atmosphere. Change that and people will, I think, feel better. So all I can say is I'm so sorry that, that, that all this has made you feel that way. That's all I can say. Next question. Yes. Do you believe gun laws in the United States should be amended based on the incident that occurred in Las Vegas and other previous mass shooting? I don't think just because of that. I think it should be amended because it should be amended. But I think that's something we have to come to an agreement on. What that amendment needs to be, I don't know. I don't know that I have a firm idea that would resolve that. As I said earlier, you know, third, three times now, I believe that gun control is something that we have to work toward together. That last one? There's one two more. more. Okay, one more. Okay. Uh, can a Christian vote for a political candidate who supports abortion or is pro-choice? See, I don't think it's fair to, to, to limit your voting to those two or three issues. I, I think the people vote from where they are. I think that if you make that the litmus test for everybody you vote for, there are a lot of things that could be added to the list. Being unkind to the poor, um, not feeding the hungry, uh, not caring about prisoners. Uh, it's not just those three, four main things that I personally don't agree with. I don't agree with abortion, I don't agree, but that I can't just vote based on that. I, I think Christians, the Christian church to me is making a classic mistake, in my opinion, evangelical church in particular. We narrow it down and we get our Bibles out and we say, okay, these are our top three big issues. And, and we close our eyes to everything else. We don't talk about anything else. No one else has any value unless they agree with these three things. I think those three things are crucial. I believe in all three. But I think that there are other issues that people vote from. A person who is about to have his grandparent or his, his son uh, sent overseas because of an immigration law that they believe is unfair is going to vote from that side of the tree. 
And I love what my friend said. We had a, um, do me a favor. Um, did it, hold tight, don't go anywhere. <laughs> I love this. This is a bottle of water. And this, um, on this side, I see, uh, what does this say? Can you see what this says? What this says? Deer Park, right? Now, that's not what I see. What I see back here is ingredients for water because that's the side of the bottle I'm looking at. If I turn it around, we can see Deer Park. I can see what you see. You have to come around to the side of the bottle that the person's looking at. And so when people vote, they vote from where they are. If they're in a poor farm in middle of Georgia, they vote with that in mind. They don't think about immigration because that's not their concern. Where people, so people have to sometimes understand, and, and I think Christians have to understand, everybody that voted against uh, for Hillary didn't vote for Hillary because they were anti-whatever. They voted from where they were. Here's what I think is a mistake, not hearing everybody's voice. I think when the politicians don't hear everybody, they end up being mean to people, and that's what makes people angry. Let's listen to who? Everybody. Now, come on. Let's listen to who? Everybody. Let's hear everybody's pain, and let's show respect to both sides of the bottle. Next question. Yes, sir. In the current political climate, why is the church so quiet? Silent signals agreement or fear of reprisal. I think the church has a history of being silent in the wrong places. They were silent during the Civil, Wars, Civil Rights Movement. They were silent during the, 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 the German issue for a long time. They've been silent through uh, a number of things. The question is, uh, churches have a hard time knowing when to jump in. And I think that you have to jump in and not be, a, not, not be nervous about causing a little bit of friction. That's part of the process. If you've got family, you understand that. Right? You've got, you got to have what I call courageous conversations. But I think that silence does give consent, and I think the church is learning that. And I'm seeing a lot more people speak up. Now, I've got one more question in the building, and I've got to let you out of here. I'm over time. One, is that it? We're done? Oh, boy, two, three. These are going to be one-minute answers. Four, one, how many minutes did I say? One-minute answers, all right? Go fast, sir. What's your question real quick? And I got to let you go. In, in mental health, and I want to know where this country is going towards when we deal with people with mental illness. It seems like we are not concerned for our citizens. I hope the political environment changes where people are more open to mental health issues, and I think you're right. We should care more about that. So I, I'm, I'm for it. I'm for counseling. Sometimes I think I need it myself. So I think it's a good thing. So somebody else have a question. Where are we at? One minute answers. Right here, yes. Pastor Rick, how are you today? Fine. Uh, what do you think about the Constitution if it was designed to prepare us for this presidency? Well, I, I mean, the Constitution wasn't designed to prepare us for a presidency. It was designed to prepare us for, for the future of a nation. And, and thank you for your question. You can get my back, too. And part of, the challenge, uh, part of the challenge is that the, the Constitution was a great document that was designed to help us through various seasons, and I think it has. And I think when you compare it to other countries, um, we do pretty good. It's not perfect, but I think it's not designed. I think unifying together is what prepares us for the future. No document can do that if I don't like you and you don't like me. And so you can't keep referring to the Constitution to solve our problems. We have to be mature and love each other. And so a house divided cannot stand. That's the real key issue. Sir, I saw your hand. Yes? Sorry, I just 
No. We need, we need to pass the mic to you so I can hear you. And then we have one more, right? One more, and we're done, okay, for the day. Yes. Okay. Yes. I definitely don't need a mic. My voice is loud enough. But the current education system mm -hmm. and the lack of funding, therefore, um, do you think it plays a role in a lot of situations that carry forth in today's society? I think it does. And I think that, thank you, so you can pass the mic back. I think that the lack of fair education, the lack of quality education, the lack of support for teachers, the lack of support for the whole system creates a lot of this. We are in this together, and we need to act like we're in this together. And I think you're right. They need to do a better job of funding that. And I think that um, so in my mind, this is my little thought, um, the lottery, all the things we created to, quote, fund education, which really didn't fund education. The money got diverted. Um, you see, until we're willing to invest in it personally, you can't create these other avenues. This is our, these are our kids, and we have to find ways to fund it, hold the people that manage the money accountable, but we have to pay teachers better. We have to give them more respect and support. Their job should not be to go in and discipline our children. When they go to class, they should come disciplined and ready to learn, and that's the parents' responsibility. That's what I think. And I told my kids that. When I send you to school, I don't need to go down there. My mother told me that. Now, I work. I'm a single parent. I don't have time to go down to your school. Do I need to go see your teacher? No, ma'am. Do not have them calling me, coming down there telling you to be quiet in class. Can you be quiet in class? Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Ricky Temple. Go to class. That was it. My mama never went to my school. My mama never had to have a meeting with the teachers because I knew that she was crazy. Amen. So she, no, she meant that. My mama meant that. She told me a lot of things. She said, I ain't coming to bail you out of jail. You go to jail, you're going to stay there because I ain't got the money to bail you out. I'm a single parent trying to raise you by myself. She'd tell me quick. And she meant that thing. And I think sometimes, you know, these parents are putting, taking your bad kids, sending them to school, hoping they can make your kids good. If it's crazy on the way to school, they're crazy when they got there. You need to do something about it. your child. All right, don't get me preaching. I'm sorry. Get me started now. Get me started. I'm sorry. Get me started now. I'm done. I'm done today. I got one more. All right. <laughs> what am I being bad? Now you're praying for me over there, right? All right, Pastor. Right. Come yeah, on. I, I got to collect myself, Pastor. But uh, yeah. my question is, what do you think needs to be, uh, should be done to encourage more participation in voting uh, that um, I'm not going to vote because my vote don't count or um, I, I don't believe in the process. So, well, well, we, we know that the process is set up. What can be done to uh, educate, uh, encourage people to set that as a problem? I think it's being done. All this chaos, everybody's going to try to vote now. Praise <laughs> God. Let's all stand. Come on. <laughs> thank you for your time. You've been amazing. You've been amazing. Lord, we thank you. We worship you. We honor you. We give you glory. It's been amazing. Help us, Lord, to love each other across political lines, across all the confusion. And may we as a family have a mature attitude towards these things. We took a bold step today. We talked about current things. And we leave united, committed to loving each other, committed to, to following an example of patience and grace. A house divided against itself cannot stand and it cannot make a decision. And that is exactly where we are. We need to fi find a way to break that. I pray in Jesus' name for your hand upon us as a people. 
you are still God in the midst of a storm. You're the Lord of the rainy days. They don't change who you are. They don't change our potential. I pray for everyone in this room today. If they're here and they don't know you as Savior, I pray this is the moment they think about their future life spiritually and say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. If they're here today and they say, you know, Pastor, I realize that a lot of things you said, my attitude should adjust itself. I'm going to pray for our president, pray for our leaders, pray for our mayor, governor, all those in authority in my life. And wherever I lead, I'm going to lead like a servant leader who cares about people. I thank you, Lord, for this mature discussion today. I thank you for the spirit of it. I pray for healing in the hearts of your people. And we give you all the praise. As we leave today, we bless the offering we're about to receive. We bless, Lord God, the, the people. We bless, Lord God, our future. In Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. You may be seated. Praise God.